This episode was pre-recorded last month. Great conversation with an inspiring person. Welcome everybody to Welcome. another edition of At Home with Linda and Drew Scott. Scott, 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 Scott. This Hi everyone. Is, this is a great week because I have had some amazing home-cooked food by none other than Linda herself. So we, it's funny, we talk to friends, you know, we'll, we'll do Zoom chats and whatnot and We'll talk to them and they'll mention some restaurant that they look forward to going to or that they've been ordering from. And uh, well, we then, were just talking to who was it? It was Nick, Nick Vile. Vile. And he was talking about dumplings from Den Tai Fung. Yes. And then I come down into the kitchen <laughs> and wow, there are dumplings <laughs> in the kitchen. Linda has just been making anything and everything that we think we hear about. So there was that recipe for French toast uh, that was well, it my mom? That's the thing. I, I yeah. don't. I look for recipes and then I get really distracted and then I just make it up. Yeah, but that's good. It's all you I love how you get creative with your um, ingredients. You don't just follow a recipe. I mean, I guess with baking you're saying yeah, you have you to have follow to. a recipe, but for, I think I get that from my mom because we would always we always ask her for uh, for recipes and she's like you just do this, this and add this and then add that and and, can, and you say, can you give me the recipe? And she's like, I don't have it written down. No, she doesn't. It's just in her brain. <laughs> Whereas my mom's the complete opposite. My mom has her her book, her book of all recipes over oh, the yeah. years. And she's built it up over the years. And so if I need recipe, boom. And we do she use exactly that. What it is. Oh, yeah. For the or Yorkshire dessert. pudding. Mint dessert. What else? Uh, over the years, not just my mom or your mom, but what are recipes that you've heard over the years and you're like, that's a keeper? I love cookbooks. Mm. I just don't use them. They're just so beautiful. Um, oh, I didn't tell you that. So it's taken us, this is a little off topic, but not really, but it's taken us two years to do our wedding uh, video. Yeah. And our editor is so great and he sends us clips at a time. We're so and slow we getting him are notes. supposed to review it. And it's, <laughs> we just celebrated our two year anniversary and <laughs> I think the video is almost done and that's totally our fault, but I look forward to seeing that. But back to food, I'm going to be making a recipe uh, or like a cookbook based on our wedding. Oh, so yeah, based on all good. of the foods that we do. You remember enjoyed. when we were in that restaurant in Florence? So yes. you know we, we had to go to Florence and then we traveled over to Puglia and that's where our wedding was. But that there was this one and we just randomly uh, went into because we were going to another restaurant, but I can't remember if it was closed or they couldn't handle how many of us there mm -hmm. were, whatever it was. And we were directed to this other one by the water. The pair, it was right by the medieval bridge, I think. It was where yeah. they had all the jewelers yeah. and everybody. But was it a pear? It was a pear ricotta ravioli. Oh my gosh. And it was the best thing ever. Melt. I, I remember thinking like pear? Why would you have pear oh, in ravioli? So good. I just found it sounded fancy there. Ravioli. Ravioli. It makes me want to cry. It was it's so, so good. good. And the, the ricotta was just melting in your mouth. Uh, Man, I hope when I go upstairs that they'll just be <laughs> magically in well, the kitchen. Well, you know, you can, you can use the wonton wraps as ravioli. That's true. That's very true. Well, we could try that we out. We could make little pillows. I like that little machine you have that it's for making Pop-Tarts, but you've been using it to make little like Anything shepherd's tarts? pie. Yeah. yeah. I want to do some PB&J. Ooh. Mm -hmm. right. You can make that. Well, oh. what I'll make right now is I'm petting my little dinosaur here that we have sitting Don't on. Don't say that. That sounds so, weird. Yeah, that sounds weird, but it's a little cookie jar dinosaur. We have inside 
all of our questions that we have put in here that we want to ask each other. And by the way, you guys have been great messaging us and you've been texting me actually and continue to text me, 310-496-8667. I want to hear from you guys because you're giving us great ideas for what we can talk about on our podcast, what we can Mm -hmm. ask guests. And also you've been giving us ideas for who you want to see us just sit down and chat with. Yeah, actually, yeah, you should text Drew's number and then I can or we can write down the questions and just stick them in the cookie jar. Which I've been doing a little bit of. Just because so, it's more fun. Again, four, uh, 310-496-8667. I want to ask you... Me? Yes. Okay. Lindork, what's your guilty eating pleasure? Did I write that question or did you? Never mind. <laughs> what's your guilty eating pleasure? Mm, the writings okay, do need to be mine. One, it's not really a guilty eating pleasure because I just enjoy it and I don't feel guilty about it. Uh, chocolate for breakfast sometimes. <laughs> chocolate for breakfast? Like if I wake up, some, sometimes I just wake up and I'm craving chocolate or like a cookie. And I will admit that I cave into those cravings if I, yeah, whatever. My philosophy <laughs> is a little bit of anything is not a terrible thing Yeah, for the most part. And if you look at chocolate, there are benefits to dark chocolate. Yeah. And I think as long as you're eating it in proportion, it's not a terrible thing. I know last night I had that delicious vegan chocolate chip cookie. Oh yeah, that Davin and Hannah gave us. Oh my oh. gosh, how can it be so good? It's and really you keep yummy. it in the freezer, which I think adds that bit of crispiness to it, which is actually kind of nice. It's Yeah, I thought it would actually freeze, but it just makes it really firm. Cool and firm. Yeah. It goes with my cool crisp sheets. <laughs> uh, what else? Ramen. Oh yeah. That mm. other ramen dish? Oh, your oh, uh, tub sec. is calling? My Drew's is alarm calling. just went off and it said tub. Yes. <laughs> um, so the uh, the ramen you made the other day, phenomenal. I, and I, So I'll come into the kitchen and Linda will have like 50 spices uh, and herbs <laughs> out on the counter. And I think she just like a magic potion, just throwing little bits of everything in there. It's like her cauldron. But in the end, it always tastes so good. The way that the ramen just melts in my mouth, so good. Mm, I never thought ramen could melt in your mouth. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, this is one of my guilty food pleasures. Getting a pizza and eating the entire thing myself in one sitting. Or so getting, you just fold the entire pie in, in half and just... Sometimes, but I'm actually not, I'm not a huge fan of in my mouth, like just tasting the outside, like the bottom crust. So you I, I want to down. Yeah, exactly. On my tongue, I like to have the flavors of the toppings of the pizza. So I know that's really weird. No, but weird. Um, also on top of that, two burgers or like two hot dogs, not just one. I need to have two. And it just, it's so good. And I know it's too many calories. For and some I shouldn't. reason I'm picturing Patrick from SpongeBob, just like squishing. Yeah. The- yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I'm like Popeye. I need to have it. Popeye. Go, 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 go. That's good for me muscles. Where did they go? <laughs> yes. But speaking of food, by the way, our guest this week, Kimball Musk, he is absolutely amazing because what he has done is created a movement with kids and food and getting kids excited about fresh farm to table food. Real food. Kimball has given back in many ways, but he's learned a lot and his love for food has made him create 
Big Green. Mm-hmm. And what they've been doing for years is actually working with schools to create gardens, but not just a garden that's tucked off. Learning and, gardens. Yeah, it's a learning garden. It's not tucked in the corner of the yard, locked away with a fence that people can't get at. It's a centerpiece of the school. It's an outdoor area where they're creating somewhere that the kids will want to come and sit and learn and be interactive with. Mm-hmm. And just play in. Because I think I think if you're if you have the chance to experience something you develop a different relationship for it and you appreciate it more and it becomes part of your life, not just a place that you have to go to in school. And it's pretty cool. The initiative they have with Big Green is now Big Green at Home. While we're all in isolation, Mm -hmm. they still want to be able to educate kids. So they have some fun programming. They have so Uh, many cool resources, activities. Debates as well, where they're creating conversations, education about food, where your food comes from. Uh, which is really cool. They're doing a car giveaway right now. So I drive a Tesla. I love Teslas. They're giving away a Tesla Model Y and it's an Omaze campaign. Uh, There's information if you go online, you can find that on Omaze as well as if you go to biggreen.org. Yeah, and we'll post the the link on our socials. Mm -hmm. So you should click on it and participate in the contest. It lets you uh, donate to a great charitable cause. It lets you have a chance to win an amazing electric car and... I really love how Kimball uses his platform to give back to families and children, especially with building gardens and schools across the country, um, helping kids learn through food education. Yeah, that's the best way to learn, just get your hands dirty. It's a delicious way to learn. And I I love how he did a concert recently as well to raise money for Black Lives Matter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's, he's got a big heart. I think with all that, for even more inspiration, we should just hop in with... God, I said hop again. Don't cut that out. How come? Drew, <sighs> if you guys have listened to every episode, you'll notice that Drew always says, let's hop into the I, episode. I don't understand why I hop so much, but why don't it's we just, bunny. let's saddle up and get into a conversation <laughs> with Kimball Musk. Okay, if ADT wasn't professional enough, now ADT installs Google Nest products with their smart home security systems because ADT believes the smarter the home, the safer the security. I mean, what are they going to do next? They're, they're going to start a country singing career. I would listen to a country band named ADT. Also, I like to know what's happening at our front door from virtually anywhere with my Google Nest doorbell. Just saying. Your Google Nest doorbell? I said our. He said my. Everybody check that. Yeah. All right. Well, I like to control my ADT smart devices, like my lights, my locks. (laughs) My security system with Google Nest speakers and displays. And I like to say, hey, Google, to get started. Listen, I said ours. I'm all about ours, not mine. (laughs) Help protect what matters most with all this, plus 24-7 professional monitoring from ADT and a little help from Google. Visit ADT.com to see how ADT can help make your home smarter and safer. I can feel the love Bouncing off these walls Shining through the windows Reflecting like a rainbow That's where we belong Yeah, it feels like home Thank you so much, Kimball, for uh, joining us. It's exciting to chat with you. There's so much that you do that we love. 
The fact that you're also an amazing chef, you have one of the top rated restaurants, actually you have multiple top rated restaurants in the country as well. So basically we're stealing you for, um, for recipe ideas for Linda and me, as well as we want to learn more about sustainability. So tell us what got you so passionate about food and, and using food as a tool for education for kids. You know, for me, food has been a part of my life since I was probably 12 years old. I, um, I grew up with a, with a very busy family, as you can imagine. And for me, the, uh, the way I, I managed to get people to sit down, my family to sit down, was to cook. And I, I love connecting with people. You know, for, for me, the, uh, the, the joy of life is being around other people, being and connecting, learning about them, being curious about who they are. And um, for me, to uh, cook food has been a vehicle to make that, make that happen. And, and I've kept that with me my whole life. You know, for the, uh, with my kids, still to this day, I'll cook dinner and it's an absolute requirement that we sit down and even if they have an exam or something the next day, even if it's five or 10 minutes, we, we sit down and, and have, a, have a dinner and we, we, we talk about the issues of the day. Um, we, you know, as you, as, I, as you mentioned, I have restaurants and you know, just last week, my, my kids, are four, I have a seven-year-old a seven-year-old daughter, 14-year-old son, a, uh, and then two 17-year-old daughters, their step, stepsisters. And um, <clears throat> what the debate was the restaurant industry, whether I, I should stay in the business because it's unfortunately a real, real, like a nuclear bomb has gone off in that industry. And it was so wonderful to see, to just watch what that dinner does to, because they're, they're so used to the dinner, they don't, they don't argue with whether or not we're gonna sit down for dinner. And uh, that turned into a two hour conversation wow. about just the future of the world and how we'll live after COVID and how we'll gather socially. So for me, food has just been the most wonderful joy that I've, I've kept with me my whole life. It brings family together. Yeah, I think it's, it's such a simple concept that food brings people together, yet it's something that is so often overlooked because we push it off. You know, it's like, oh, we can't do a proper dinner tonight. Let's do it, you know, just once a week. And then it gets pushed to like once a month. It's, I think what you've done in instilling these food rituals with your family, uh, hopefully it, it inspires a whole new generation of, of, you know, food lovers that want to use food as, as therapy and as a connector. I, I would say for sure. I mean, one thing about this crisis, which isn't good for the restaurant industry, but really is good for cooking at home is, uh, the amount of people that are, you know, now learning how to cook and, and connecting with their family, I gotta say, there's a part of me that really likes that. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, I will be one of those people. Um, I call myself the Drew Chef. I'm the sous chef to Linda. But um, t- tell me a bit about your background too. And I love the hat. I mean, this this is me. This is exactly how I grew up um, on a ranch. And uh, and I hear that we have a lot of similarities with our lifestyle growing up. Yeah, I mean, I, I know your brother Jonathan, and, and he talked to me about. Uh, Cow, he was a cowboy in Scotland. Did I remember? Did our I, dad. Our correctly? dad was. Yeah. Well, he, yeah, he wanted was, okay. he wanted yeah. to become a cowboy. He used to watch old cowboy movies in Scotland. So when he was sixteen, he worked his way over on a ship with no money to his name and lived out his dream up in the Rocky Mountains, and he became a cowboy. Amazing, amazing. So that 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 uh, is my grandfather was a cowboy in Minnesota, Saskatchewan, and in the, in 1948 he moved to South Africa. And uh, uh, became a chiropractor, you know, changed his career when he moved down there, but continued to be an explorer. And he, he helped map using a small plane, helped map Southern Africa. 
And so he, he really cool. was uh, uh, an explorer, pioneer, cowboy. And so um, the cowboy has been in my family for years, but I started wearing it about six years ago now. And I, I wore it for a very practical reason. I, I spent a lot of time on farms and we work with lo local farms, but also sustainable farms around the country through our restaurants. We really believe in getting to know your farmer. And so I would go out and spend time on these farms. And I was in Texas and it is so hot there in the summer. It's just extraordinary. And so I, I was borrowing people's hats, which uh, kind of kind of gross, but you just kind of like <laughs> it's just so hot you can't you can't deal with it. Yeah. And I, I thought I was just doing normal things, but one one of the farmers who who was really nice, he said, "Look, son, we we, uh, we really appreciate you coming out here, but you don't actually it's not actually appropriate to borrow someone's hat. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's, it's like borrowing someone's pet." You just don't do that. I was going to say it's like borrowing somebody's underwear. underwear yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was thinking. Especially nowadays, we would not, we would not right. do that. <laughs> yeah. So they took me to Allen's Boots in Austin, Texas, and they bought me this exact model hat as a, as a gift for just coming out and spending time with them. And so every year I get a new one. This, these, this, these last about a year. And they're just a simple farmhand hat, but it kind of works for me and I've loved wearing it ever since. I still have, uh, when I was a kid, I remember when my mom gave me her hat and my dad, I think, gave Jonathan his hat. And it was such a big thing to us because as kids, we didn't have a nice fancy hat. And not that they were nice and fancy, they were just ranch hats. Yeah. Uh, but um, to be able to have them handed down, also Jonathan and I have gigantic heads. And that's when we learned that our mom's head is as big as our heads. But uh, yeah, so I still have that hat. You know, as gross as it may sound, it has all the original sweat stains from when my mom used to use it, and it has wow. the sweat stains from when I used to use it on the ranch for years and years and years. But I don't want to wash it. I love it. I, it's yeah. it's almost like something I would hang on the wall just as a piece of decor, reminding me of, of how I grew up on the ranch. Yeah. yeah. What part of the Rocky Mountains was your dad? Where did he move to? So yeah, we he lived uh, just outside of Calgary, up in Banff, and uh, oh, wow. and, and he used to ride a lot up in Banff. And then they had some different ranches down along uh, the mountains, uh, down into the Porcupine Hills that he used to um, work in. He he was a ranch hand for years. I mean, my dad even rode in the Calgary Stampede. He rode a bucking horse. So he, no, he so has my, a, my family moved to uh, since now my whole family they, they moved to South Africa. They all moved back. They are between Cochrane and Canmore in in Alberta. Yeah, so we have we have a whole bunch of family and friends down there. In fact, we renovated a family of friends, the Buses. We renovated their ranch for one of our shows a few years back. And wow. so it was it was fun though because as kids, we used to go out there and just run around and play. And so as adults here we were coming back to renovate this because you know how it is on the ranch. Everybody they put all their attention into the farm. They put all their attention into growing the crop or the cattle or whatever they might have. And they never put any interest into the aesthetic of their home. That's just not priority for them. Right. And so here is this family that has supported their community for so many years. And now we came in as a little thank you to them to renovate their house. And That's so uh, cool. It was a and lot yeah, of so fun. You, you can create the little house in the prairie look and feel. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you got to keep the charm. Um, yeah, totally. What they there. So tell, tell us about the dynamic, too. Growing up uh, with your brother and your sister, what was the sibling dynamic? Um, were you guys thick as thieves and always uh, doing stuff together? And and how, how were you inspired as a kid to get into what you do today? Yeah, we were, we were very close. Uh, my brother and sister and I uh, were... Uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a strange place to grow up, South Africa. You know, we, we were all part of the anti-apartheid protests and it was like a, a, an actual social 
activity. Like, oh, it's there's a protest on Saturday. Let's go. Let's go uh, do that. And we would go do that as a family, not just not just one one or, one or two of us. Um, and that was sort of the '80s. That was kind of defined the '80s for 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 us. Um, so it's also a uh, frankly quite a dangerous place. So you stuck together for for that reason as well. Um, um, and then and then at the same time, it's a very independent. Uh, mindset. So it's a, it's a, it was a very um, different way of growing up. But but I, but that that really brought us together, and we are still very close to this day. And then personality-wise, when you guys were younger, uh, was education an important thing for you um, as well? Were you always thinking you wanted to get your degree? I know you have an interest in tech as well, and you've used a lot of, from what I've read, you've used a lot of what you learn in food and everything that you do on the culinary side. What were your interests? What did you want to become uh, when you were a kid? It's actually pretty funny. I grew up uh, loving food, and food was my passion. But uh, was I totally idolized Wall Street and the investment banking world, mm. and I was convinced that I'd be an investment banker. So I studied really hard. I did really well in school. Got into one of the top business schools in Canada, at Queen's University in Kingston. Uh, I, after my first year, I was on the dean's list, and it was all positive. And I, I, I found I sort of, you know, network and found my way into one of the top investment banks in Toronto. And I learned that it was the absolute worst thing I would ever want to do with my life. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I was so bored that I would write memos to the senior execs telling them what I think we should be able to do. And so one of the execs took a liking to me, gave me a laptop, which by the way, a laptop in 1992 didn't exist. It was like a suitcase that (laughs) folded down. And, uh, And I coded the database uh, so that this you know, the summer job they've given me was basically to collate numbers from 1,200 different offices around the, around the world. So anyway, so I coded it, so it just did it automatically. You could just press, you know, pick your date zone and press enter. And, um, and I was done coding it in three weeks. And, 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 and so I had the rest of the summer to, to just sit around and be bored. Anyway, so the lesson was not for me. Um, so I, I came back and took the entrepreneurial path. After that, I started a painting business in school and uh, managed to pay for my way, pay my pay my way through school. Then I got into technology. After that, my brother and I started a internet company. Um, pretty proud. We we launched the first maps and door to door directions on the internet, and we so, uh, we sold that in '99. And that's when I decided to focus on my passion of food and really um, have just loved it. And and how is it working with with family? I mean, I know Drew, Drew and Jonathan do it quite seamlessly. Hell, <laughs> hell, no. Well, it's funny, you guys. I, I listened to your show with you and Zoe and Jonathan. You guys and Zoe and Jonathan, and and it was quite endearing to see the the relationship you guys you guys have. Um, I definitely have a very. I mean, my brother and I are we're our closest friends, um, and my sister also very close. Um, it's different for us. I think um, we really do push push each other to keep doing more interesting and more challenging things. It's it's not a celebrated thing in our family to relax and go to the beach. It's just not. That's fine. I mean, no no judgment, but it's not like not relevant. It's more like okay, well, what what is the thing you're doing to make a difference? And yeah. and that 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 I would say is is something that is an underlying foundation of, of our relationships, which, um, which, you know, my sister working to 
you know, create movies for women on 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 television that 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 empower women through passion flicks. Uh, my brother's work, of course, with Tesla and SpaceX, you know, to the next level. My work with food. These these are um, these are not places one would typically make money in. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not it's not Wall Street. It's it's really the opposite of that. But it's what we love. What sort of um, hurdles did you come across in in your path in in the food industry? I had this uh, I had this amazing experience, also challenging. I was in New York for nine eleven, and um, I graduated just before nine eleven. Saw the towers fall. It was one of the toughest experiences of of my life. But got an opportunity to cook for the firefighters, and that really. Uh, just going, working at, at ground zero, cooking for the firefighters, you know, all the way, 16 hour days, all the way through the night. Um, that that really kind of was a turning point in my life because up until that point, even having gone to cooking school, up until that point, cooking on food was really a passion, not my purpose. And uh, when I had that experience of watching these firefighters come in from giant piles of melting metal, still melting weeks after, um, after 9-11, you could just see the life in their face come back and the energy and, and the lights in their eyes turn back on. And, and then they would leave the table with a smile and energy and they put their suits back on and they go right back into those piles of metal to save American lives. It was just, um, after that, I was like, I, I have to do a restaurant. I, I just have to. And and, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, you hear about this, um, you know, it's a sort of spiritual thing. And, and I don't consider myself super spiritual, but but I but I do get it where once my passion and my purpose aligned, I I found Boulder, Colorado. I, we, I did a road trip with my wife at the time and we were just looking for a town to open a restaurant in. So that fell into place. We decided to do that. And then I, I was walking my dog um, down the street, down Pearl Street in Boulder. One week after we'd moved there, we were looking at restaurant spaces and the, my dog came off the leash, went up to this guy. He, he had an English accent, I uh, a South African accent, and, he, and I said, I'm looking to open a restaurant. He said he just got his green card. He's the head chef of a nearby restaurant. Hey, let's just go have dinner together. So he invited us over to dinner and um, uh, we, we had an, a, an amazing dinner. He's, just, he was, he's a phenomenal cook. His name's Hugo Matheson. And so, so he was head chef at a local restaurant, and then I just started working for him while I was trying to find a restaurant. And then he and I got to know each other well, we're best friends to this day, and we decided to open the kitchen together, which is our restaurant. And he brought, I brought more of the, the New York sort of world-class neighborhood bistro thing. You know, in New York, you can be, you can walk half a block and, and you'll go to a restaurant you've never heard of. And it'll be some of the best food you've ever had. Mm-hmm. In New York, the standards are so high. And then, and Hugo came at it from the local farmer perspective of um, not using the industrial food system. And, but um, he, he really introduced that idea to me. And we opened the kitchen celebrating local farmers in 2004. And we really hit a nerve. You know, this was before farm to table was a term. And uh, we really helped define that, that category. Uh, the kitchen is still considered one of the country's top 100 restaurants. We've opened one in Denver and another one in Chicago. And it, so, so for me, it, just, it was 
this a wonderful falling into place. Mm-hmm. Like it just um, one thing just kept working after the other. What I find uh, very interesting though too is so here you're coming off of you sold uh, Zip2, right? You had sold Zip2, yep. so you're you're an extremely successful uh, tech business owner. You've you've sold this company and then. You've you've put you've gone back to school, and then you were cooking for um, uh, in the restaurant in, in New York, and you were cooking for the firefighters during nine eleven, and then you were assisting um, Hugh at his restaurant before you Hugo. opened your own. Hugo, Hugo yeah. sorry, uh, that to me um, really shows character in the sense that there's no sort of ego. Like I just had a successful business that I sold, I'm not going to go and learn from the ground up in this new industry. And so that that's that really does speak to why you're a success because you didn't have ego stopping you from really going after what you wanted. Yeah, I really do think ego is the enemy. Uh, it's everyone. It's everyone's own personal demon. Um, it was very humbling going to cooking school because you go from this great success. And if I stayed in the tech world, I'm, you know, I was considered one of the sort of the, the stars in the, in the space to, you know, the gum on the shoe of the, of the dishwasher. And I, and I, and I, I remember call, talking to my cousin, Russ, we also grew up very close with our cousins. And, and I, I just said to him, you know, I don't think I can do this anymore. You know, this is just too hard because it is so humbling. And he had this great phrase. He was like, you know, the way he likes to look at life is, is what's the worst thing that's going on in my life today? And how, and, you know, objectively, how bad is that really? Yeah. And if it's bad, you know, sometimes some things can really be bad. And, and you know, that's, that's important to appreciate. But, but his point was, you know, I'm a wealthy guy, I'm successful, and I'm learning to cook by some of the best chefs in the world. And that's my biggest problem. Mm-hmm. Life's actually pretty good. Oh. Yeah, it puts things into perspective. <laughs> and I, I think learning how to cook or, or just cooking, even if you're not uh, a professional chef, the act of cooking is just such a humbling experience because you are literally just pouring your heart and creativity into a dish and you're getting to serve it. And I think uh, your story about serving firefighters, that is for sure a spiritual uh, experience mm-hmm. because it aligned so much of, of your heart and your path. and The energy and you put into, into it coming in. Yeah, yeah, it seeps into everything you do and now the world gets to learn from that as well. ADT now professionally installs Google Nest products with their smart home security systems because ADT believes the smarter the home, the safer the security. Help protect what matters most with 24-7 professional monitoring from ADT and a little help from Google. You said that very professionally. I try. (laughs) Visit ADT.com to see how ADT can help you make your home smarter and safer. And so is that um, from your restaurant, obviously the kitchen is a huge success, multiple locations. And is that what then sparked you for Big Green? Was that why you wanted to take things even further into schools and working with children and building uh, community gardens, school gardens? Yeah, you know, it actually was an interesting path. So we did the kitchen in 2004 and we, we had an employee, one of our first employees, his name is Bryce Brown. And he asked if, if uh, we would support his work with school gardens in, in Boulder. And we, we loved the idea and, and he, was, he was so good at what he did that we, we decided to choose that as our philanthropy. And I, and I really do think that 
that lesson was a powerful one for us was we just picked one thing to focus on and that we would then get good at, at, at being, at being philanthropic in town. And um, uh, for, from 2004 to 2010, we were pro- probably his main funder, but he had other, other supporters as well, but it was enough so that he could no longer work for us and run it full time. And he was building two school gardens a year. And uh, I, uh, I, I, I frankly started to get a little frustrated with the restaurant business. I didn't feel like it had enough scale to it, wasn't reaching enough people. And on the, on the school garden side, uh, the, Bryce was able to do two schools a year, which was, was about as fast as, as anyone else in the country, maybe even the fastest. But it would still take a long time to to have a lot of impact, and um, I was in the middle of thinking about this, and um, actually went to a TED conference and saw Jamie Oliver up on stage, uh, you know, basically uh, telling us uh, Americans that you know we were letting this crisis of obesity happen in America, the high calorie, you know, low low nutrition food, especially amongst our low income population, and and I, I really felt like personally insulted, I'll be honest. Like, like I thought, you know, we we're doing a lot of work, you know, we we're, we we're considered a leader in the, in the country already. We were doing a lot of work philanthropically, um, but it's, but it really hit me pretty hard. And, and um, uh, that was on a Thursday. And then I went to see, it was President's Day weekend. I went to see my brother and, and a close friend of ours in Jackson Hole. And uh, we, we went skiing on, on the Saturday and I was, I'm a, I was at the time a very aggressive snowboarder. And I was like, you know, I should probably not be so aggressive with young kids and all. The next morning was February 14th and we went, I decided not to do anything aggressive. We would just take the kids to a children's uh, inner tube run on the ski hill. Mm-hmm. And um, in the meantime, I've got this thought, thinking in the back of my mind about, you know, the Jamie Oliver talk and it's all kind of like, um, if if what it what was what was about to happen, if it didn't happen, I'm sure by Monday or Tuesday I would have gone back to my normal life because you know life life goes on. Yeah. But what happened was I went down the ski hill with with my four year old and and um, uh, two separate tubes. My tube flipped. He he was fine. He was safe. But my tube flipped, and I landed on my head going 35 miles an hour. Oh my gosh! Broke my neck at C6 and C7. Oh my gosh! Uh, was paralyzed from the left on my left for for three days. Um, it was honestly one of the most awful, terrifying thing that any, could happen to anyone. Where you where you where you watch because it was actually getting worse every day. You watch your own body lose its sense of movement and feel. It was it was just absolutely the worst thing you can imagine. And um, uh, the doctors were telling me that they could fix me. And it was in the hospital that I was like, you know, if they fix me, I'm going to focus on food and I'm going to, you know, I really listened to that Jamie Oliver talk in my head and, I, and I'm not going to be that guy that can help a little bit philanthropically on the side. And I'm going to focus on educating kids in food. That was a big part of what I want to do. But I also wanted to grow the restaurants and do a, a more fun, more social, more casual version of the kitchen. Uh, we created Next Door American Eatery. And it's literally next door to the kitchen, so it's pretty easy to name it. <laughs> <laughs> and we've grown that now to about 11 or 12 of those restaurants. And um, and so Big Green came out of that where, where I wanted to educate kids about real food, connect them to uh, a, a healthier future. Um, and I looked around at different ways to do it and, and 
we we I was frustrated with school gardens because they even the fastest nonprofit in the country can grow at two schools a year. Well, that's not going to get us anywhere. But I kept coming back. School gardens were the best way to reach every child. You put it on the school grounds. You get 600 kids a day. You design it correctly. We, we didn't do the old design. The old design is you put the garden in this corner of the school. You put a fence around it. It's very hard to maintain. You need a key to get in. Uh, the, only the most passionate teachers would, would use it. Mm-hmm. And there were many passionate teachers who would use it, but it would be impossible to get the others to use it. And then it would once after a year or two, it would start to fall apart. And I thought to myself, you know, if we could design something that was, instead of it being a maintenance nightmare, could we design something that would be the most beautiful part of the school? Something that would be the easiest part of the school to maintain. Mm-hmm. Something that would be a, a, where teachers would spontaneously want to teach in it, not have to go get the key and find out how to get there. And then also something that teach that kids would spontaneously play in it. And uh, my, my wife and I at the time we were, were actually, we were, we were close friends and we were actually getting a divorce, but, but we were friends and we were just like, hey, this isn't working. And so uh, we actually designed the learning garden together and, and her name's Jen Lewin and she designed this incredible uh, uh, approach to the school garden called the learning garden. And it uses the Fibonacci sequence, the golden yeah. ratio, like a snail shell. And, and it enables you to build garden that looks organic, but you can build it in a factory. Mm. And so we could build, if we wanted a thousand school gardens a day, because it's, it's that scalable. And um, uh, we, we did our first one in 2011. This is about a year and a half after I broke my neck. And uh, the governor of Colorado took note of it. The mayor of, of Chicago took note of it. And in 2012, we built 50. Oh, wow. And then the following year, in 2013, the mayor of Chicago challenged us to do 100 learning gardens in Chicago in one calendar year. <laughs> I mean, to, to, I mean, each one of these is 2,000 square feet. They're outdoor yeah. permanent installations that have shade structures. I mean, it's, it, takes you, it takes you a while to build these, like a few months to build these. You have to deal with permitting. You have to deal with, um, uh, we have to raise the money at the same time. And all the city did participate in it a bit. But we got it. We got it done. And we built 100 school gardens in a year, which seemed like the most impossible task you can imagine. And now we build 150 a year without even thinking. You know, it's just built into the, the system. We're, we're at 700 schools right now across the country. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was reading you. You have over 300,000 students uh, every day are interacting with, using, and being a part of these gardens, which is yeah. absolutely amazing. And imagine that many young Americans are being inspired and then they're going to carry that knowledge into their, their adult life um, to, to continue to make change. That's phenomenal. I mean, just like that, that kindergarten teacher we were talking about is if we can just make a small difference in, in each one of those child's lives, it's like rearranging a boat by one degree or one, one or two degrees, they really end up in a different part of the world. So they become a different adult. And, mm-hmm. and our goal here is not to be, you know, a, a, but we're certainly not a silver bullet because there's a lot of forces at work to really help our kids have a healthier future. Mm-hmm. But to be a wonderful part of it is, uh, Big Green has, um, the team at Big Green have just blown me away and, 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 and continue to do amazing things. And with COVID, we now have, obviously our kids can't go to school, and so they've, they've launched Big Green at Home. 
And Big Green at Home, it's biggreenathome.org. Please go, any of your, your listeners should go and listen, go and sign up. And which is what they'll get are weekly activities and lessons that they can do with their kids that are super fun. Uh, there's a lesson where you take an, uh, an, uh, uh, the seed of an avocado and you actually grow an avocado. It starts to sprout in your, uh, in your garden, sorry, in your kitchen. Very fun activity. We're going to do it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Big kids. Yeah. It's great. There's, there's even a, um, uh, uh, prompt cards on a, a, the debate about the food supply system. So playing so creating on the conversation. Kind of, yeah, exactly. Playing on the kind of conversations I have with my kids. Uh, it's like what, what we do is we, we ask a family at, at a table to pick teams, you're either the local food team or you're the industrial food team. And uh, here are some basic arguments for why we we need local, or why we need industrial, or what are the pros and cons, and and you, you and you debate it over dinner. And it's um, it's just been a wonderful success uh, because our par- the parents have now the responsibility to teach their kids. They also need things to do, and so Big Green at Home has been a, a wonderful innovation that that uh, we're now able to reach many, many more kids than even our 300,000 by kids and parents who sign up through biggreenathome.org. Mm-hmm. That's so cool. And, and a lot of what we talk about on At Home is you know, more than design and, and the physical house is what are the values we're, we're planting at home? And when you were talking about the school gardens, we immediately thought, well, how can we bring this to home? Because you know, home is where it all starts, whether you're talking about healthy relationships or healthy eating or a healthy relationship with yourself. Um, So yeah, this is, this is so cool. It's exciting. And and we've worked with some local school gardens here in LA. Um, So it's right in line with, with what we love um, as well. It's, it's pretty exciting to hear. And I I look forward to seeing the continued growth and, and I really look forward to seeing, you know, in five years, 10 years, as these students all start to graduate, move on into their lives, they have their own homes. I'm curious to see if they take those, what they've learned and incorporate into their own homes with their own gardens Mm -hmm. as well. Actually with, with that. I I mean, for for me, it's about inspiring the the next generation and um, the more we can do that, the better. Mm Mm-hmm. We have, uh, so a big dream of ours, and this, this has been a huge dream of Linda's for a while, is to have our own sustainable farm. And, and even more than just a sustainable farm, a regenerative farm. And for us, it's been very cool. Anywhere we go, we were, you know, last year we were down in Cabo for a little family getaway. And we decided, you know, we're not big on, you know, hitting the club and drinking. That's not our thing. We want to go and experience uh, local culture. And one of the reasons we went there is because we heard of Flora Farms. One of my dreams, I've been to Flora Farms many times. It's one of my favorite Mm -hmm. spots. One of my dreams is, uh, my version of that is to buy an old golf course that no one really wants to use anymore because people don't play golf as much. And they they actually cost quite a lot of money to maintain. They use a lot of water. And you convert it into a regenerative farm because they're like, I think they're 60 acres and stuff. It's kind of about the size of what you'd need for a regenerative farm. And um, maybe even to do it in Cabo because uh, there's a lot of those golf courses not, not used as much. So I love your idea. I think that that's, that's so cool. We'll put brains together on this. Yes, yes right, we- exactly. And one thing I want to mention is Big Green at Home um, is being funded uh, with a contest we're, um, we're giving away a Tesla Model Y, uh, performance Amazing. Tesla Model Y, and if anyone who buys a ticket, the proceeds go to Big Green 
and for the for their COVID efforts right now to help kids connect to real food at home. And they can go to omaze.com slash Tesla and uh, uh, participate in the contest and help raise money for Big Green. That's amazing. That's we'll so share that cool. on our social yeah. media as well. We'll That's pretty great. great. Thank you. And as someone who drives a Tesla, um, I can say to anybody out there, great car. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I look forward to seeing it. I haven't seen the Y yet, so that'll be interesting oh, to see. Oh, it's great. It's really great. And uh, yourself too, you're, so you're, on top of everything you have that you're doing, you're also on the board for Tesla, you're on the board for SpaceX. Um, so having that involvement still, um, working with your brother as well, um, how is that uh, still something that you, you can still pull certain experiences from that can help you on the food side? Or is that sort of um, scratching the itch of something else that still excites you with technology and innovation? Honestly, it's really more about uh, working with my brother and I love supporting him, working with him. And um, the companies, of course, are world changing and exciting. But but frankly, if, if, if I wasn't on the board, I would still be able to participate through my brother in some way. So this is more of a, a way for me to work with my brother and, and uh, enjoy that that relationship. In addition to being brothers, it's also really fun to watch him work. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say... Uh, um, it's uh, it's more of a more of a brotherly thing. Yeah, nice. We have uh, uh, a friend of ours is uh, Commander Chris Cassidy with NASA, and he's up at the International Space Station right now. We were actually just talking oh, wow. to him Amazing. from the space station two days ago, and uh, we were talking about the excitement of the SpaceX launch and yeah, and May twenty seventh, twenty seventh, yeah, good. Yeah. Everything will go well, and um, we are we're very cautious and uh, doing everything we can to make sure that that goes well. Uh, but we're also very excited. It's just to see passion, like what you're involved with, what your brother's involved with, and what, uh, Commander Chris Cassidy, when we were talking to him, it's so amazing to us to see all these amazing people coming together, forging forward. Innovation is, is coming out of these. Uh, I can imagine back in the day when you had ideas of what you wanted to create, the way you wanted to affect you're, you know, you're creeping up to half a million kids around the glo- uh, around the country that you're affecting every day. Like that must have just been that little glint in your eye at that one point where you thought, I wonder if this could happen. And then all of a sudden now it has happening. So looking back on everything you've achieved, how does that feel? It really does feel wonderful. The Big Green work, more than any of the work I've done, and, uh, you know, Big Green's a nonprofit. There's no, there's no money in it for me. I don't draw any salary or anything from it. Um, it is the most wonderful thing to be able to look back and see the difference we've made, the difference we continue to make. And the team that, that, that run Big Green now are, are just, you know, it's a, it's a mostly woman exec team that are just uh, uh, just firecrackers, you know, get, getting it done. I've got to say that's my proudest achievement. If you, is there something, even if it's been a hobby for yours or a, a separate passion, is there something else um, that, whether it's something that would end up becoming a thriving business or it's just something that you love to do, what's, a, what's sort of a nerdy passion of yours? Like for me, I collect coins and, and medieval armor <laughs> and swords and I play ping pong. Those are my nerdy. But what's something that people don't know about you that's sort of just a, a, a nerdy obsession or something that you love? Well, the, I, love, I love playing guitar, but I'm not very good at playing guitar. Um, but I have played for a long time so I can play well enough to to go along to singing and I love to sing Johnny Cash oh yeah and so I play I sing and play Johnny Cash songs and actually my 10th anniversary of me breaking my neck was in February and I did a celebrating life party on President's Day weekend and uh, it was 10 years later and I did a mini concert of 
me and my 200 friends that were willing to fly to Denver um, in the winter. Um, and I did a Johnny Cash cover concert. Oh, that's so um, cool. I need to hear. So I was going to say earlier on, but you, uh, you were talking, so I didn't want to interrupt, but you hear your South African accent, except for when you say Boulder, Colorado. <laughs> I, hear the, I hear the draw come out. Give us a little flavor of Johnny Cash, a little burning I fell in. Give us something that we can... I fell into a burning ring of fire. I went down, 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 and the flames went higher. And it burns, 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 the ring of fire. The ring, ring of, of fire. fire. Oh my <laughs> gosh, <laughs> that's amazing. I, I got to tell you, nothing, Linda can probably attest to this, but nothing looks better than throwing on that cowboy hat, sitting around a campfire and strumming a guitar and getting everybody to sing a song. I love it. Yeah, it's yeah, great. It's a it. wonderful feeling. And um, I I, uh, I took guitar seriously until about maybe 15 years ago. So I've been playing 25 years, but about 15 years, for the first 10 years, I took myself seriously. And that is how you don't have fun. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I realized, you know what? People just want to sing along. Yeah. They, you don't actually have to be that good. You just have to have fun doing it. Yep. Yeah. And so I started just having fun. And uh, that's the gift I give myself is just playing guitar, really any, any genre of music that, that, that people want to sing along to. And Johnny Cash just happens to be the one that speaks to me the most, but I enjoy playing virtually any kind of music. Hey, we, we grew up on Scottish folk and country music, so we'll have to have a jam session one of these days. <laughs> that sounds great. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank La- you. Last thing, can you paint a picture of the future of food? Sure, yeah. I mean, I love uh, the, the future of food being sitting at a table with your friends or your family and uh, and really connecting to where the food came from, connecting to how that food might have impacted the planet, connecting to how that food might have been raised for animal animal meats and so forth, um, and connecting to your friends. And whether that's in a restaurant where you, you're connecting through with your friends and family through food from your favorite restaurateur, or if you're cooking at home, that's a pretty beautiful future. I absolutely beautiful. love it. Well, thank you so much for taking the time uh, to so chat much. with us and, and for everything you're doing with Big Green and Big Green at Home. I think that's an amazing initiative and I look forward to growing an avocado mm-hmm. in our kitchen. <laughs> thank you guys so yeah. much. Thank we'll you so much. We'll talk to you again soon. All the best. All the best. We got so many messages and nominations last week and the stories are amazing. You guys are so kind and so awesome. And this week, Jessica from Virginia Beach nominates her bestie, Melanie Rhodes. Melanie is a veteran of the U.S. Navy, and she has committed her whole life to teaching kids. In fact, before COVID hit, she was actually substitute teaching in a kindergarten class. How are you doing? Yeah, first and foremost. <laughs> I'm in a corner of a bedroom right now because uh, my husband and I are deep in a uh, DIY I'll be right over. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, um, if you wouldn't mind. (laughs) Yeah, we actually heard uh, Jessica mention that you're you're doing a renovation right now too, but she also mentioned that uh, you've been working as a substitute teacher and you've been working with a lot of great kids. And I think that's really cool to hear how much you give back to support our future leaders. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, um, I had, I kind of fell into it and I know that's really not a very... um, um, magical story, but I, I thought I might want to be in the classroom 
but I wasn't sure. Um, my experience has been with teaching other adults while I was in the military, and and I didn't know if I had the fortitude to deal with children. And I decided I would go into substitute teaching so I could see what I enjoyed. And I opened myself up for um, preschool all the way to 12th grade. And I, I enjoyed all of it. I I like being in the classroom. I really like the kindergartners because um, like everything you do is fantastic to them. (laughs) And you're the smartest person they've ever met. And they'll know you for two days and start saying they love you. And um, I had 17 new best friends when I did Uh that. Um, And that one, it wasn't supposed to be a long-term job. I was supposed to be there for a few weeks while a teacher had a baby and then she didn't come back. So I ended up being with them for the rest of the school year. And so when... Uh, COVID hit and then uh, everyone is not going to the classroom. How did that affect you with your teaching? Well, um, I am, I'm a substitute. So the school system still needed somebody to check in on the kids um, and that kind of thing. My role was uh, not as um, big as it had been when I was in the classroom, but I, uh, I was able to do some coordination and help some of the parents as they were, panicking over what to do with a kindergartner at home. And um, they, they all worried this, you know, the same thing any parent does uh, when they're faced with homeschooling that they didn't choose to do is, do I need to learn a new math? (laughs) I, I, I assured them that their math is really basic and you'll be fine. And I did get to zoom with the kids a couple of times, which really, um, it was bittersweet. Because I really mm. wished I had hugged them more the last day I saw them, because I didn't know that was going to be the last day I saw them. And uh, ever since then, I've been like, "Oh man, I wish I had given them so many mm-hmm. more before yeah. they left, so I could get those." But uh, I know I'll get to see them. I'm still a substitute teacher, and I substitute in the same schools. And I know I'll get to see my little friends again. Mm-hmm. Oh, so is it several schools? I um, substitute in Stanton City Schools. So I uh, we have a, a city preschool that I sub in, an elementary school, middle school, and high school. So wow. I, uh, we have three different elementary schools, and I go to all of them. Oh. And wow. The only one I tried not to do was I tried not to sub in my daughter's class. And that was your daughter's <laughs> request? Uh, some, well, it depended. Some days she was all about it. And then when she saw me at school and she'd be like, you're not for my class, are you? I'm like, no, I'm in some uh, <laughs> well, I think it's great though that you're able to move around to some of the different schools. I mean, you know, I guess a par- partial blessing of being a substitute teacher is that you have more kids that you can affect in a very positive way. Uh, yeah. It's just not that um, permanent block that you have with one classroom, like the permanent oh, teachers. Oh yeah, I get to, and like, I, I'll go for like a week and maybe I'll have a fifth grade and an eighth grade and a 12th grade and they're all different subjects. And I just kind of go with it. Um, I don't want to be the substitute that um, just sits there like, all right, guys, I'm going to read a book and you're going to sit me quiet. <laughs> I, I like figure out what they're learning that day. Um, I always look up whatever subject it is. The only time I ever got in a little too deep was I went um, for a geometry class, (laughs) an English major and a business major. So I kind of understand some math, but that was a little 
bridge too far for me. I had to do some extra studying before I went to class because I don't want to look stupid. No. That's it, incredible it, how you're able to just switch yeah. brains, really, dealing oh, with all the different ages fun. and subjects. Yeah. Oh, it's fun. And there's such a difference between elementary school where one teacher does everything. And then you go into middle school and high school where one teacher does one thing and you get to just get to just exercise so many different muscles in your brain. And so you uh, are a veteran of the U.S. Navy and you mm -hmm. spent 21 years uh, well, in the military? Well, 22 years. She was a little off on that. Do you find from your years in the military, has uh, how has that affected how you work with the kids? I think that had a lot to do with um, my patients and my organization and my approach to it in general, preparation is always important. You spend your whole life serving others and, and helping the community. How do you serve yourself? How do you take time for yourself? Oh. Um, no, I know I'm not, I'm not real good at taking care of myself and doing things for myself. If I have the opportunity, uh, I tend to push it off to help somebody else. And uh, she gets on to me a lot. And we've been friends for 20 years and she's always gotten on to me for that. <laughs> well, I think it shows your personality. You're a loving, giving person. You want to support everybody in your circle and your community, which is amazing. But it's there's so much more support you can give when you do a little bit to support yourself and give yourself uh, a hug from time to time. But uh, I'm glad to hear you have someone like Jessica mm -hmm. in your corner as well that is here to support it. The thing is, I don't know what she said that made me seem special. The really ironic thing is the woman who submitted that letter about me is somebody who would be more much more deserving i think of of any kind of of uh, appreciation or recognition she served as well we met in the military she's a nurse she is still doing her nursing duties she has an immunocompromised child that among all of her kids at home and she's still supporting her family and she's taking a risk just going to work every day. Mm -hmm. And, and it doesn't even, she doesn't even question doing it that she would think of me. It really is special. It does. It does touch my heart. She's my person and she knows that mm -hmm. and I'm my person and, and we've always had that connection. Oh, a little tidbit. She helped deliver my second child. Oh, my oh goodness. wow. <laughs> yeah, you know, you can't be closer than that. <laughs> you know, that's very true. Yeah, well. well that says so much about your friendship and, and both of you individually that, you know, you don't see in yourself what, you know, the amazingness that people, other people recognize in you. It's, it shows how mm -hmm. humble you are. And I think it's really great. I mean, the whole purpose of what we want to do here is to try and share your stories and your positivity and your kindness to help rub off on other people. And I think it, it really is, um, it's amazing to see how much you give and how much Jessica gives. And thank you for that. Oh, thank you for saying that. Mm -hmm. I, think I, I was told that I was supposed to say to you, <laughs> Mr. Scott, from who? <laughs> my sister, who is my twin. And she said that you needed to understand that your my twin is intimately familiar with every program that you have on TV. <laughs> and she feels like everyone on the planet needs to know that she's your biggest fan. What's, oh. your, what's your sister's name? Her name is Missy. Missy. So but as mm. Missy. All right. All right. Good to know. One, Missy, 
Holla at you. <laughs> Twins rock. Thank you for being our biggest fan. Um, and now we have our property sisters that we've officially met. That's so. awesome. <laughs> uh, we can't even help it. It's 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 twinsters. We can't even help. <laughs> She's probably actually feeling this right now. Oh She's, my gosh! Your built-in so bestie. Yeah. Uh, are you she guys is. in the same city? No, she's in Colorado. She's in the army. Oh, I man. a whole family of military wow. people retired from the That's army amazing. yesterday, as a matter of fact. So she's moving back to Virginia. Thank you all for yeah. Everything thanks for you. everything you've done to give back and sacrifice um, to for the betterment of everyone and and the love that you guys spread. And once again, thank you to Jessica for nominating you to be a part of um, oh, yeah. this way of spreading kindness. Thank all right. you so Bye. much. Thank you. Thank you. All the best. <laughs>